Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, good morning again. My name is John Abernathy. I'm the care pastor here at Wildwood. We have been here for about 15 and a half years. Uh, we actually were here before when we were in college. I proposed to my wife downstairs in the worship center. Um, she said yes. Um, it was great because how's she going to say no in church, right? Um, so we love Wildwood. We love worshiping with you. We love living life with you. Uh, Mark is uh, out of town today. Uh, we are going to continue our series in Romans, uh, chapters 9 through 11, entitled Family Tree. And uh, once again, I don't know if you guys remember last summer, once again Mark left a difficult passage for us. So last summer he was in the middle of First Peter teaching when he left, and I got the section that was um, on wives submitting, calling your husband Lord, not wearing jewelry. Um, I was like, thanks, thanks Mark. Um, this, this time he was like, yeah, John, this is probably the hardest passage out of these three chapters, and I, I'm going to go out of town. So I was like, okay, okay, that's all right. In all seriousness, this is God's Word. It is powerful. It is life-changing. It needs to be studied. It needs to be applied. Um, it's good for us. It's good for our lives. Like I said, we're in the middle of chapters 9 through 11. So go ahead and open up your Bibles to chapter 11. Uh, we're going to start in verse 11 or turn them on, go to Romans chapter 11. There's also Bibles on the seats, uh, the bottom of the seats in front of you. It's in the back section on page 126, if I got that right, page 126 in the Pew Bibles. You know, in our study of these chapters, we've already seen several things. We've already seen God's faithfulness to the promises that he made to Israel. We've seen God's sovereignty. We've seen his justice. We've seen his divine plan as far as salvation. We've seen Paul's heart toward the Jewish people, that he wants them to be saved. We've been challenged to go and preach the gospel of Christ, to be those who uh, are the feet of those who preach good news. Two weeks ago specifically, Mark led us through the first 10 verses of Romans chapter 11. And in that section, we saw three things. We saw that God was trustworthy as he dealt with Israel. We saw that he was gracious and we saw that hardened sin keeps us from seeing God for who he is. And that was those first 10 verses of chapter 11. We found out that God has not rejected Israel, that he is trustworthy to keep his promises to them, which he has done through his grace, and that a hardening of their hearts has closed their eyes to Jesus. But God is trustworthy. He is faithful. He is gracious. He has not forgotten them. So we're back in this section today. We're going to divide this up into two parts, although there's really a lot more here than this. Uh, we're going to see the result of Israel's rejection, and then Paul's going to use this olive tree as an example uh, that we should remember the root that supports us. Okay, so it, result of their rejection and remembering the root that supports us. So I'm in Romans 11, uh, verse 11. So follow along as I read, please. So I ask, did they stumble, that's Israel, in order that they may fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, 
And if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in amongst the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness towards you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? That's a lot, right? Uh, we're first going to look at uh, the result, the first result of Israel's rejection of Jesus as the Messiah. It is that they stumbled, but they didn't fall, right? They didn't fall without a purpose. You ever stumbled but not fallen, right? I think maybe my middle name probably should have been, phew, that was close. I stumble, I fall coming up the stairs. I've stumbled coming up these, like to pray in the prayer time, and I fall down things and run into doors, and um, I stumble, right? But he said that their stumbling was with a purpose, and it was so that the, the purpose, which we're going to see in a minute, uh, also that they wouldn't stumble so that they would fall. He said this in verse 1 also, right? God has not rejected his people. God has not rejected his people. You understand why this matters, correct? Let me run this by you, because if God makes a covenant with Abraham, right, and, and with David, and he chooses the people of Israel, and we have the history of the Old Testament, um, and the promises of God, and the prophets, if he were to break his promises, if he were to turn his back on his covenants, constantly rejecting his people, it would mean that we couldn't be sure that he would keep his promises to us. Right? We would say he wasn't faithful to Israel. He might not keep it to us. John Piper says this. It began in verse 1, that's verse 1 of chapter 11, uh, with the question, has God rejected his people? The answer was no, and the rest of the chapter is explanation and defense. The reason it matters is because God's faithfulness to Israel is God's faithfulness to us. If he doesn't keep his word to Israel, is there reason to think that he will keep his word to us. God is faithful. He can be trusted to keep his promises. Okay, two other things that happened because of Israel's rejection of the Messiah. Okay, we are going to see that um, salvation came to the Gentiles and that it was to make Israel 
jealous. You see it there in verse 11. Okay, we'll come back to the Gentiles in a moment. So even as Israel rejects Jesus and the Gentiles come to faith, God is thinking of the Jews as well, right? He says it's to make them jealous, that a purpose of believing, of Gentiles believing, was that uh, Israel would want what they have, right? Remember, we saw Paul's heart for the Jewish people in chapter 10, where he said this. He said in Romans 10, 1 through 4, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Paul's desire is that they would be saved. He says they are zealous for God. But he said that they sought to establish their own righteousness through their works and not through Christ. Remember the Jewish people and the promises. And we talked about this in Romans chapter 9, uh, verses 4 and 5. It says, They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all and blessed forever. Amen. Dr. John Walbert says this about the Jewish people. He said, the Jews were a special people who were designed by God to be the channel of divine revelation to the world. From them would come the prophets, the writers of the Old Testament, most of the writers of the New Testament, and supremely, Jesus Christ. The Jews were given the laws of Moses. To them were given the special rules for worship in the tabernacle and the temple. To them were given special promises that weren't extended to the entire human race. Though Israel did not choose God, God chose them. And with extraordinary patience and tenacity, he fulfills his promises to Israel, even in times of apostasy and departure from God. God's dealing with them both in judgment and in mercy provided a divine revelation of the nature of God, his righteousness, his love, his grace, and infinite wisdom. So what happened? What happened? We saw this uh, when Mark covered Romans 9. It says this, Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith, but Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were based on works. It says that they sought to earn their forgiveness by being religious, by, by doing a work, by outward behaviors, not inward heart change by the gospel. Their trespass in our passages is their denial of Christ. Romans eleven twelve, the second verse in our section says this. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world and their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Do you get that how much more? He says, if this is this great that, that Gentiles now have Jesus, imagine when the... the People of Israel have full inclusion. He says, how much more? It will be life, uh, he's going to tell us, it's going to be life from the dead, right? Uh, 13 and 14 say this. 
Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. Why? In order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. Again, one of the purpose for the gospel going to the Gentiles is to make Israel jealous. And then in 15, it sounds a lot like verse 12. He says, if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? He then goes on to give two illustrations in verse 16. He says this, if some of, uh, excuse me, if the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Okay, so he's talking sort of in code, it seems like, right? Um, if the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. So this small part of the dough has an effect on the rest of the dough, on the lump, right? Uh, speaking out of Numbers 15, uh, God tells Moses to take the first fruits of the first harvest when they get into the land of Canaan and offer it as an offering, which will then make the entire harvest holy. They'll make the entire harvest sanctified, right? So he says here that this, uh, this first fruits offering, which uh, would represent the patriarchs, the, the covenant with Abraham, that as this um, was given by God, that it should make the whole group holy. And then he's going to say the same thing about these branches, right? So we're going to talk about the branches uh, in just a little bit. But before we go there, we need to go back because we haven't talked about the Gentiles. We need to turn our, our attention back to the Gentiles. Um, as a result of Israel's rejection, we saw that second point there is that salvation has come to the Gentiles. So you should be screaming out, whoa, 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 stop right there. Salvation has come to the Gentiles? Uh, as someone who is a Gentile and has been raised and born and raised in a country where churches are full of Gentile, non-Jewish believers in Christ, like many of you, this may seem like a, well, of course salvation has come to the Gentiles, right? It's come to me. What we need to do is take a look back in history, uh, at the, look back in time at the history of the Gentiles, the non-Jewish nations. Let's start with this. Let's start in Ephesians chapter 2. Follow along with me here. It says this, you Gentiles... Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's pretty clear, <laughs> right? It says that we were separated from Christ, we were alienated from Israel, we were strangers to the covenants, we had no hope, we didn't have God. Right? This is a picture of a, a Gentile in the Old Testament. Okay? John MacArthur says this, a strict Jew wouldn't allow himself to be a guest in a Gentile house. You guys remember some of these from the Gospels. Neither would he invite one to be a guest in his own home. A scribal law said that the dwelling places of Gentiles were unclean. The dirt from a Gentile country was also considered unclean. If anyone happened to track some Gentile dirt into Israel, the dirt remained defiled. It never mingled with Israel's soil. It just constantly defiled their dirt. Consequently, when travelers left a Gentile country, they would shake the dust off their feet so they wouldn't bring any Gentile pollution into Israel. When Jesus sent out the 70 to preach the gospel, he told them that if anyone didn't hear their words, they were to shake the dust off their feet. In other words, they were to treat them as a Gentile. The Jews viewed Gentiles as unclean. 
that had great ramifications. For example, milk that was drawn from a cow by Gentile hands were not, was not allowed to be consumed by the Jews. Bread and oil prepared by a Gentile could be sold to a stranger but never used by a Jew. A Jew would never eat with a Gentile. If a Gentile was invited to a Jewish house, he couldn't be left in the room, lest he defile all the food in the room. If cooking utensils were bought from a Gentile, they had to be purified by fire and water. You start to get the picture here, right? You start to get the picture. Now, there were some Gentiles that were God-fearers, that were seeking to follow the God of Israel. There were some Gentiles that were proselytes, uh, that maybe even had been circumcised in the way of the Jewish covenant relationship with God. But at this time, what it meant to be a Gentile was an a to be an alien, to be a stranger to the promises of God. And I think we can see this by looking at the Jewish temple of the time, right? This, this is the second Jewish temple. So this would have been built around 538 B.C. after the exiles returned under Cyrus, okay? It's going to be uh, improved upon a couple times before uh, the birth of Christ. Obviously, it's not standing today. Today, that's the Temple Mount in Jerusalem where uh, the Dome of the Rock stands, Okay, but this is what the second temple would have been until it was destroyed around 70 A.D. Um, this is where the Jewish priests would have made sacrifices for the feast, for the Passover, uh, for the Sabbath, for the forgiveness of sin, for ritual impurities, for thanksgiving, for gratefulness. It's where the Jewish pilgrims would have traveled to celebrate the Passover. As you look at the temple, as you look at a diagram of the temple, if you can see this, you can see these different areas of the temple. Uh, within there. And you'll see one that says Gentile, Gentile's Courtyard. So sort of that all, all that inward area except for the middle. All right, this is where people were allowed to go. Okay, so if you're a Gentile, if you're a non-Jew, that's where you could go. And as you see, as it goes inward, you can see the court of the women, you can see the court of the men, the court of the Israelites, and you can see the Holy of Holies there in the, in the middle. Holy of Holies were on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. The priest would go in um, and sprinkle the blood where the mercy seat had been. You guys are familiar with this, right, once a year. But if you're a Gentile, what does this say to you? What does this feel like to you? Right, you're a stranger and an alien. You can't go all the way into the things of God, right? Look at this picture. This is a picture of a stone that was found in the late 1800s. This sat on top of one of the walls of the court of the Gentiles. Look what it says. Foreigners must not enter inside the balustrade or into the forecourt surrounding the sanctuary. Whoever is caught will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. Okay, what does it say? It says, Gentiles, keep out. You'll be killed if you go further than this. Remember Ephesians 2, it said that they're excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. They're strangers to the covenant of promise. They have no hope. It says, you may not come in here. You're without God in the world. You know, we don't have time to cover all the passages in the Old Testament that will talk about the future for the Gentiles. But I don't want you to miss this one. This one is out of uh, Isaiah 49. This is one of the servant songs from Isaiah. Look at what it says. It is too light a thing talking about the coming Messiah, that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. Again, this is about 700 B.C. I will make you, this prophecy says, as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So the coming Messiah is going to be a light for the nations. Remember, our, our word for Gentile means nation. Right? It's going to be a light for the nations. Um, his salvation is going to reach the ends of the earth, 
right? You may remember Simeon, right? So Jesus is brought up. He is, he is circumcised. In his first year, after the purification, he is um, handed to a man named Simeon, right? Do you remember what Simeon said? It says he was full of um, the Holy Spirit, and he picked up Jesus, and he said this, For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. I remember him saying that. Okay, Jesus, holding him in his hands. This light for the nations, this light uh, to the Gentiles has come in the Messiah Jesus. Right? Jesus in his interactions with people. Right? You know, John 3.16, he says, For God so loved the world. Right? He says in John 8, I am the light of the world. Right? Jesus talks this way. We know that Jewish leaders struggled to accept Jesus as the Messiah, even killing him. John 8, after he says that he is the light of the world, he says this. He says, I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, talking to the Jews. Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. So these are the sons of Abraham. These are the ones with the covenants. They have Jesus put to death. And when Jesus is put to death, a remarkable, things, a remarkable thing happens. Right? I don't know if you remember this, but the, the curtain that is within the temple is torn in two. Right? So we saw in the temple that Holy of Holies, we saw where that curtain would have been when Jesus died. This is the scripture from Matthew 27. Look at what happened. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook, and the rocks were split. Praise be to God. We Gentiles now have access to God the Father, right? Through a perfect high priest who is Jesus. We are no longer strangers and aliens. Um, the book of Ephesians says this in Ephesians 2. It tells us what happened now. Remember Ephesians 2, uh, 12 is where it said we were strangers. It says now. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, not by works, for he himself is our peace, who has, making us, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows together into a holy temple, a different temple, in the Lord. In him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So do you understand what he's saying? Right? He's saying the dividing wall has been broken down. And we saw a picture of a physical dividing wall. We saw the curtain being torn. He says there is no longer a difference here in the way that we access the Father. It is through Jesus the Messiah. Uh, we see then in um, the book of Acts, the history of the church, we see the gospel go to the Gentiles, right? We see uh, in Acts 10, uh, Peter getting his vision of taking the gospel to the Gentiles. We see Cornelius's conversion. Uh, we see then as it continues on in Acts 13 and Acts 14, 
uh, we see that Paul and Barnabas traveled and they shared the gospel with Gentiles. Look at what it says. When the Gentiles heard this, chapter 13, they began rejoicing. Chapter 14, when they told them, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. This was the gospel message that was going out through Paul and through Barnabas. Right? We don't have time to look at all of these, but you get the picture. Gentiles now can have access to the Father through Christ. Galatians 3 summarizes the truth now about Gentiles. It says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen? Right? Uh, remember Paul said in the passage that he was going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Uh, God had a plan for this Jew of Jews uh, to bring salvation to non-Jews. Look at what he says in Galatians 1. He also says this in Romans 15. He says, and this is Paul, but when God, when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach among, amongst the Gentiles. It's an amazing statement from Paul. Right, Paul, who was there holding the coats at the stoning of Stephen, right, who on the Damascus Road in Acts 9 uh, meets the Lord, he says, I was called before I was born into this relationship, and not only that, I'm going to preach him to the non-Jews. So this brings us full circle back to our letter to the Romans. Okay, now we're back in chapter 10 of Romans. Hold tight with me. I know it's a lot of, of Scripture. Listen to this. It says again, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Different letter. This is a letter to the Romans. Uh, Paul says it again. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And remember, we studied this. We've gone through these things. Um, let's finish our section here in Romans 11. Uh, the result of Israel's rejection. These last verses tell us, uh, they give us a warning. They say to remember uh, the root that supports you. So I'm in Romans 11, chap uh, chapter 11, verse 17. Follow along with me here. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, you Gentiles, were grafted in, Gentile believers amongst the others, and now share in this nourishing root of the olive tree. Don't be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Well, that is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. You stand firm because of, uh, stand fast because of your faith. Don't become proud, but fear. For God didn't spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note the kindness and severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. And we're going to see some of this next week as Bruce, Bruce teaches us. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into the cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Okay, that's a lot, right? Let's think about this. 
some of the branches are broken off, a wild olive shoot is grafted in, and it shares in the nourishing root of the tree. It should be a little obvious what things are now that we've talked about the patriarchs. We've talked about the covenants. We've talked about the Jews and the Gentiles, right? John MacArthur writes this. It was customary in Palestine to give new life to an old olive tree when it ceased to bear fruit. Those trees live a long time, but sometimes when they got very old, they weren't as productive. So they would cut off the unproductive old branches, and in the process of grafting, they would graft in a shoot possibly from a wild olive tree that would be very productive. The strength of the old roots mingled with the strength of the new life at the branch would create a new kind of productivity. He says the trunk, if you were, is the trunk of blessing, the trunk of special relationship to the living God. The branches are Israel. You might compare Jeremiah 11 or Hosea 14. Israel was the original set of branches on the trunk of blessing the trunk of covenant blessing, but in unbelief they became unproductive, so God came in and cut off the branches and grafted in the wild olive, which is the Gentiles. He says that some of them branches were broken off, not all of them. Why? Because there's always been a remnant. Not all the branches were at any time broken off. Some remained. They were the remnant who produced fruit, but some had to be broken off. He said, by the way, grafting was always true, uh, because the branch that was unproductive would tend to sap some of the strength and crowd the tree so that air and sunlight couldn't penetrate the grafted branch, which needed all the air and sunlight it could get. So they would cut off the unproductive branches and graft in the wild olive. We believing Gentiles have been grafted into and experienced the blessing of the root. Dr. Tom Constable says this, throughout this whole discussion, this is important, Paul was viewing Gentile believers and Jewish unbelievers as two groups. This fact is clear from his use of a singular you in the Greek text. If he had been speaking of individual believers, we might conclude that this verse provides some basis for believing that a believer could lose his salvation. Paul's point was this. If God set aside the Jews, he didn't spare the natural branches because of their boasting, that those who fell were the unbelieving Jews... You are the believing Gentiles. The positions are reversible. Remember, he's talking about groups, not individual salvation. Gentiles can become an object of God's sternness, and Jews can become the object of his kindness, depending on their responses to God. Their response determines whether God will spare them, verse 21, or cut them off, verse 22. This is based on belief. Belief is why God grafted in the believing Gentiles. And belief could result, belief in Christ, and him grafting in believing Jews in the future. Does that make sense? A little bit complicated section. It would have been nice if, if Paul gave the, the explanation as well. Uh, after understanding what a Gentile was and what a Gentile is now, when you hear this, the call is for humility right? It's for humility. You know, there is now no difference between Jew and Greek. I have this. I have this in Christ. I have that. He says our response is to not be arrogant, to not be prideful, and to fear, right? You have something now that you may have wanted before, and now they don't have it, right? Many of you have had children or at some point in life been a child, right? Someone has something that you want and you get it, what can be your response? 
Aha, look what I got, right? You don't have it anymore. He says, no. He says, not only that, you're to, you're to fear, have a proper fear of God. What is that based out of? It's based out of the fact that you came to faith through grace, not of your works. So we give him praise for what he did, for his mercy toward us as individuals and as a group of people that he allowed us to share in the, the blessing and the redemption that is Christ. We give him praise, we give him honor, we give him glory. We aren't proud or arrogant about our faith, right? It was his work that accomplished this in us. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for your word. Father, there is a lot in, in your word here about Israel and their rejection of you. Gentiles being grafted in. Lord, your faithfulness to keep your promises both in, from the past and in the present and the future through Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you have um, been merciful to us and sent your son to die on the cross, bearing the sin of the world, to be raised again, that we might have eternal life. We might have forgiveness of our sin. Lord, no matter who we are, where we are in uh, social status or in uh, race or any of these things, Lord, that we all need Jesus and we need his forgiveness and we can have his forgiveness which is offered as a free gift to all who will believe. Lord, we thank you and we pray again that you would receive the glory, that we would not be arrogant, that we would not seek to uh, come to our faith through our works, but only through trust in you and belief in you and faith in your son. Lord, thank you for your word. May it not return void. In Jesus' name, amen.